Hey Sam. Hey Sandra. What's up? How's it going? Nothing much. How's your life? It's falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, (laughs) no, it's it's cute. How are you feeling? I'm good. Um, We can talk about it during shits and giggles, but just want to say welcome back to another installment of Puchica Vos. Thank y'all for making it back to another episode. I don't know what brought y'all back, but thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Please come back again. Please come more. (laughs) Yeah. Come more often. Talk shit to us. Interact with us. Please. please. (laughs) We need it. Um, Yes, we need it. How are you doing, Sandra? This week has been very slow. I uh, came back from break after having a really fun break with you and my family. And I just kind of miss home. And I'm back in back in the grind, you know. So it's been cool. Just a little a little moody week, I guess. How about you? Shit. <laughs> a mm-hmm. TPS decision was made yeah. yesterday for El Salvador. And so mm-hmm. it's been a very emotionally draining time, both at home and at work. Just, you know, you know, fortunately, things are in the process at home for my mom who has TPS. So hopefully things can get figured out, but not really holding out on that too much. And then at work is just exhausting, telling folks the decision and then having clients cry to me, telling me they don't want to be separated from their family. It's just a really draining time and you know i don't even have tps so i can only imagine how these folks who are actually affected by this decision are feeling right now so my heart really goes out to them and you know i guess it's just part of being in that line of work but giggle i got really into this it's a boy band but they're like a rap group um brockhampton and they're really really yeah talented. you've been obsessed with yeah. that <laughs> i've been listening to like all their songs they dropped three albums in 2017 so that's why oh I have, shit yeah i have so much content to go through <laughs> so i'm like on the tip of the iceberg right now i've only seen i've only seen all their youtube videos you know like <laughs> i haven't yeah, actually only. heard the whole albums yeah so there's a lot to go through they're all fairly attractive in their own different ways whether it's their voice their rap style or just their like physical appearance and the mm-hmm. ma- main guy kevin abstract is actually a gay rapper and he he's the one who coined the this is a gays only event go home meme that's like going around and yeah so like that's been the highlight of the week honestly just getting into more new music and just really delving into it and i'm really happy that they have a bunch of work you know they have like as much work as like ariana grande (laughs) out right now (laughs) so yeah so there's a lot to go through and i'm really excited about that our orchata queen yeah (laughs) our orchata queen (laughs) (laughs) i love her our fascist queen she's looking like a piece of yuca frita (laughs) oh my god i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) it's just the meme I know it's a meme, but that's still a wild meme. <laughs> it's very outlandish. Um, what about yeah. you? Shit and giggle? Mm, well, my shit was what I said earlier, just feeling kind of like slow, mm-hmm. but and and just feeling kind of like I'm going through the motions, but not really feeling like I'm doing anything. And then just kind of I feel I feel like I'm getting weighed down by a lot of things including like tps and stuff 
So that's kind of my shit. I just feel a little, feel a little blue. But my giggle is that I cooked tonight for the first time in a while. Hey, that's good. And it came out pretty good. I made this like Thai curry. It's not that fake shit, you know, like I put coconut in my curry mix, which I did do, but I added a lot of other things. So <laughs> That's good. It was I, a little more legit than that. Send me your curry recipe. I really want to get into actually making it and not opting out for curry mix. But, you know, send me that. I want to get into it. I want to introduce my family to it just because I'm sure they'll like it. The recipe that I found was pretty good, and it's, like, very instructional. So I think, I think you'll dig it. I'll send it to you. A for I'll sure. put that in the description. Yes. <laughs> Sandra's I'll send it to recipe. everybody. <laughs> I just found it online, but you know. It's like one of the it's like the third option, but you know. <laughs> yes. Alright, so this week our song is gonna be very fitting into our topic. So as y'all already know, our topic for this week is performative activism. And so the song we've chosen is Master Teacher by Erica Badu. Have you listened to much of Erica Badu before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard her most recent album, which was the one inspired by Hotline Bling. Yes. And, like, telephones and all that kind of stuff. It was a really amazing album. Yes. Very interesting. And then I have heard the, like, America album as well. And I've heard songs here and there. I wouldn't say that I've heard, like, every single album front to back. But, Mm. like, I definitely would say that I'm a huge fan. And I've, I've seen her live. Like, she's amazing. Nice, lucky. I'm hella jealous at that. I know, you should be. <laughs> I'm also in the same boat as you, though. Like, I haven't listened to, you know, her full discography, but I do know a few of her songs, so I know Windows Seed, Bag Lady, and this one, Master Teacher. And then Baduism turned 20. So, yay, she's been around for, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as long as, you know, most people, our peers, have been around listening to music. So she's a very prevalent person, very dynamic individual who's very relevant to music, especially hip-hop. So this is Erica Badu, Master Teacher. That's the song. That's it. That's, that's, that's the episode. That's yeah. a real song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we hear about being woke all the time now. It's become such a like trend to be, you know, the woke person. But this song came out in 2008, about mm-hmm. a decade now that we're in 2018. So it's been around for a minute now. And yeah, what's interesting about it is 
that that song was apparently like one of the bigger moments of when woke was used in a non-sleeping type of way (laughs) (laughs) and obviously as like slang (laughs) kind of goes you know it's in a community for a while and this like woke the word woke started within like african-american vernacular and slang and then it just kind of blew up in as as we get closer to the current day like definitely is blown up so the reason why i uh, we were talking about this. Is, I recently brought this up with Sam where I went to um, a brewery in El Segundo with my partner. And it was a very interesting place. I've actually never been to El Segundo, which is like kind of like lame for me <laughs> being right. from L.A. But also it's like, why would I be in El Segundo? I don't know. I don't have business there. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like a white beach town. And <laughs> my, my partner's like really into beer. So I went there with them. And I like breweries and stuff. So I, I went... It was just like kind of uncomfortably because I there's I've been to a bunch of breweries in the Bay Area and in LA and usually it's like a okay mix of like POCs and then white people. Obviously, there's usually more white people because that's just kind of how the space is, or a lot of the times. But this one was just like overwhelmingly white in an uncomfortable way, uh. <laughs> like in a really uncomfortable way. And there, like I remember being like, "Wow, this is so white." And then I saw a man in an Indy 500 jacket with like ugly those like brown ugly sandals <laughs> and, like, it was just like a lot and i'm like where am i ah! that sounds and the, what, awful to me was crazy was like me my partner and my partner's friend and we, we were like the only pocs in the whole place and there was it was packed like it was full it was a full bar and what i thought was just hilarious is that people were like taking pictures of this one beer that they had on tap which was called the stay woke ipa i think I, I don't know if it was an actual ipa or not but it was just interesting to me that like oh look at this like super heavily white bar in downtown el segundo in like one of the richest cities and like in the la county being oh we're woke and yeah. these like cool white people are gonna order the stay woke beer because we're woke i don't know yeah and it just like made me think about this kind of topic and that's why i wanted to talk about it and i mean i think we all kind of have these experiences like what is real wokeness and then one is woke commodified and when is woke used to like flex so um a bit of context for, for the word woke a bit of you know the the what's the word um when you go into the history of the word the etymology yeah there you go the word woke was added to the merriam-webster dictionary in september 2017 so it was quoting barbara lee she's a black california democratic congresswoman and during her interview with essence magazine so the quote is but we will only succeed if we reject the growing pressure to retreat into cynicism and hopelessness we have a moral obligation to quote stay woke take a stand and be active challenging injustices and racism in our communities and fighting hatred and discrimination wherever it rises so the literal dictionary like if you open the latest edition woke will be there (laughs) so it's it's transcended the you know the internet's faces and it's actually part of a lot of folks' lexicon and so it started as we said with the well through african-american vernacular english and Erica Badu really popularized the word in her song Master Teacher. And so it's definitely been this whole thing that's been around for a while and been around in like black and African-American communities for a while. But we didn't really hear it popularized until this decade, actually. Yeah. So as we were saying that the word wasn't super in our vocabulary until 
more recently mm-hmm. and i think we can really attribute that to the hashtag black lives matter movement i mean that is still happening yeah. and the big kind of tipping point was ferguson missouri with my the police murder of michael brown and BLM using Twitter and other social media to document police abuse and the systemic oppression of black folks with added emphasis to black women and trans folks. And then obviously, because this isn't just like a one-time thing, there were constant occurrences of black men and women and trans folks being murdered. So like Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, like all these people constantly and to now, right? Like Erica Garner just passed away. And obviously Eric Garner, which is how we got Erica Garner in her life. And she, I mean, she didn't pass away through police brutality, but she died basically of overworking and stress and cardiac arrest. You yeah. know, everything is like pushing basically death onto black folks and black people. That's kind of how we got it popularized through this movement. It's like, if you're woke, then you understand the issues yeah. of this movement. And basically overall the issues of racism misogyny misogynoir yeah no um i was just gonna say that for a lot of non-black people of color and for some white allies as well that this was a introduction into a lot of topics about police brutality you know obviously african-american and black communities have been speaking about this for decades at this point and so for a lot of folks who aren't black or african-american it was just an introduction into this and to actually like learn about this so for a lot of people it was just you know as you mentioned with Erica Garner, there was just this overstress, overwork, you know, aspect to it. And so a lot of people, there was no chill out time for them anymore. There was no time in between murders to like really cope with the fact that this is what the police were doing. And so for a lot of people, it just really overstressed them. And so for folks, some of them, it was just, you know, realizing, hey, police are racist and, you know, this is what they're doing now. For other folks, it was like, yeah, we know that they've been doing this, but we need to organize around this. And so, you know, it helped push people to be more social justice oriented. It also helped burn out people, I want to say, just because some folks needed a moment to step away from this kind of space where they're just hearing about death over and over and over again. And so I think it also helps spur a little bit of the like self-care, self-love movement, just because a lot of folks needed a recharge and actually think about good things in their life and how to properly take care of themselves when it seems like the whole system's out to get them. And so I think it was beneficial for some folks, but it definitely was taxing for a lot of folks, just their whole mentality around being a person and surviving in America. So I think it definitely had a lot of different effects, but we're going to focus mostly on the woke, the use of the word woke and the applications of it. And so one of the places where we saw it really, well, at least where I saw it really come up was on Facebook. (laughs) So I feel like during 2014, 2015, and even maybe a bit of 2016, Facebook arguments were like the thing. It was like, if you weren't arguing on Facebook, what were you doing, you know? But, um, sorry, I had to burp. Um, is that an essence? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Facebook arguments were totally a thing. And so they were very relevant or prevalent during that time. I, I wouldn't say relevant necessarily. I think it was mostly. I as, like, I got into a Twitter argument with you a while Yeah. <laughs> about wokeism. <laughs> literally about woke is a woke 2.0 yeah i remember that i was like all right you you're extra (laughs) 
All right. Well, you are being extra. Or whatever. I'm not even going to talk No, about we're this. not going to go into that. <laughs> this, is I, this is what I hated, Sam. Okay. Yeah. But in essence, Facebook arguments were not even necessarily, I think, to prove to the other person that you were arguing with that you wanted to educate them or that you were, you know, trying to prove to them the injustices of the world. I think it was mostly just to show that your like-minded peers that you're on the quote-unquote right side of history. And so it was definitely performative. It was just to show people that like, hey, I can speak about this at length and I know what I'm talking about. So therefore, I am more woke. I am more credible. I am more this and this. And I don't know. I think it's just like an ego stroke all around. It was just to show people that like, hey, look what I can say. Look what I can talk about. And look how much better I am than the other person who doesn't know about this. I know. That's what I was trying to fight with you on the internet. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? That's kind of what it's kind of taken on, right? It's not even... It's just lost all of meaning because it's so overused that it's like when everybody is woke, is every, when everyone is, quote, woke, is anyone not woke? And then it's just weird that people are just doing these contests. You know, like Oppression Olympics, now it's like woke olympics and i saw all these tweets about uh the women at the golden globes trying to out woke each other Uh, (laughs) with the whoever's guests they brought which i honestly it's like tokenism i'm gonna i'm gonna okay i'm gonna say a controversial opinion Mm -hmm. and i don't even know if it's controversial because i don't think it is i don't really like the the kind of dialogue people were having about it because it it implies that these women didn't have any agency in like picking Mm. if they wanted to go or not everyone was just talking about like white women are carrying them as accessories i'm like okay these are women that have been organizing for years like they understand what racism is they Mm. understand what misogyny is they're not gonna let themselves be taken advantage of you know like they're not these women like if you're gonna say that like oh they're being tokenized and like then you're also putting the blame onto them because these are women that are in high status i guess woke circles right yeah so it just kind of irritated me that people were not giving these women any credit or any agency like they decided to go to these events you know they weren't forced to and they took it as a real opportunity i don't know and that kind of irritated me because it really i don't know i feel like it kind of diminished what they were trying to do as well because people were so focused on the white woman again versus these actual women i don't know it it kind of irked me because it's it's like women are taking control and it's still the white women being talked about when it's like no we should be talking about these women like that's why they were brought i don't know and that's why they decided to go so I, I just, like, I was very confused. Not confused, but I was very conflicted because I can understand the idea of tokenism, but then I feel like people were really, like, infantilizing these women and in, into not letting, making them think that they didn't have any say. No, yeah, I, I totally get that. I also feel like for the white woman who brought these um, women of color, who these activists of color, to the Golden Globes, I think it was also them trying to use their platform to actually you know promote and amplify other voices which is what we want allies to do so it draws in the question of like what is performative allyship and what is proper allyship and i get what you're saying that it definitely you know stripped away the voices of these women who had total agency and total control of their lives to decide if they wanted to be there or not and so i don't know i think it was just There's, like, multiple sides to it, of course, but I feel like for a lot of angry folks, it was just easier to jump on the 
tokenized bandwagon of sorts. Yeah. I don't, it was just a conversation that I was like really uncomfortable with. So it was something that I didn't necessarily engage with, yeah. but I saw. And because I, I didn't know how to feel about it because I really did see both sides. Right. Where it's like, how do people how can you be an ally? And when people try to be an ally, then people are still kind of unsatisfied. So then it goes into this thing where it's like, where do you where do you even become a productive ally yeah so i it was just very blurry for me yeah i feel that i think it's hard to like i don't know even decide on anything if you're not listening to the the full stories of the people who went and who the the people who brought them to the events you know i think it's just reading intentions versus impact a lot of the time and so it's hard for us to say exactly what it what was the right option or the right move at that point it was just you know, we got to contextualize it. We got to hear both sides. And we're not getting that yet just because we're jumping onto that. Or at least I am. I was. I mean, I probably was too. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, like, any better for thinking about another side of the story. But mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, what, like, what, what woke is where people really feel this kind of elitist thing where you mentioned it earlier. Like, if you're not woke, then why are you here? Like, if you're not woke, don't talk to me. If you're not this. If you're not anything don't be in my space so it kind of goes into this thing where it's like education allows people to feel more woke Mm. and then we kind of go on to that path where only educated people can see what being woke is because they read the new jim crow or something like that so that's that's something that you said in the one of the first episodes where it's like if your mom can't understand your activism then what are you even doing yeah (laughs) <laughs> I keep I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, no, yeah. no yeah but like i definitely get that that like if your activism can't be understood by your mom then what's the point of it you know well, who are you doing it for is it just for your further elitist like peers or for the people who are up on that ivory tower with you or is it for the people that you're trying to impact with your movements you know who is it really for and so this ties into why some of my friends actually didn't like the word woke when i was in uc san diego I had friends who were involved in social justice spaces at Spaces, the organization at UCSD. And so they feel that the word woke, you know, one implies that elitism because it implies that people are, quote unquote, still sleeping. And so that they're they're blind or impervious to the racism and, you know, fucked up structures that exist around us. When in reality, they might not even be like that. They might just choose to cope in a different way or they might be doing their own forms of activism that don't necessarily involve, you know, gloating in front of others. And so I think it was just this idea of if you're using the word woke, it's because you're trying to stroke your own ego more than you're trying to impact the communities that you're fighting for. And so I I think that really resonated with me. And that's why I don't use the word woke anymore, unless I'm like clowning on people who use it. And so I think it's just, I think it's a process, of course. I think everyone who uses it or thinks that they are woke are on a different part of that process. But personally, I don't like it any. I don't like that word anymore. I don't want to associate myself with it. I just want to low key clown on people who use it because I'm like. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm hoping that they they move past that point. Yeah. No, I feel it. It's like the people who ordered that stay woke beer. I'm kind of like I side eyed them. I'm like, well, why are you really ordering this? Do you actually like IPAs, or are you trying to flex? Or in a similar way, when Get Out came out in theaters and people were like oh i'm gonna go see get out you know i'm gonna go see 
I am not your Negro. I'm gonna go see Moonlight. Like I'm, I'm yeah. gonna do this. Like I'm, I'm a cool person that supports the Black Lives Matter. You know, and it gets to what you were saying, where it's like we're feeding our self image, and and usually we're using social media to kind of say this, right? Like you take a picture of your ticket stub for Get Out and be like, yeah. I'm a very woke person. Hashtag stay woke, you know? Yes. <laughs> a lot of it is like feeding into the, the social media persona that we talked about in our Tinder episode, in our dating app episode, where it's like an extension of who we are or also who we would like to be, who we're aspiring to be. So we want to be this cool, awakened person because that's what is cool now, right? So then it kind of becomes once it's cool, then people want it. And then once a lot of people want something, then it kind of becomes a commodity, right? Something that is consumed. So now we're about to showcase this aspect of yourself and it becomes performative. So what Mm. are like some examples of this, Sam? Outside of like what I just said about the get out. Um, For me, well, okay, so for me, it ties into social media because that's a lot of my interactions with folks. So other than, you know, your Snapchat of like, I'm going to go see this movie, you know, check me out or I'm reading this book. You know, I think of Emma Watson with the um, why I'm not speaking to white people about race anymore, how she posted that that picture of that book. And people were just like, so you're not speaking to your peers, your family about race. But um, I think of a lot of Instagram performative activism. And so for me, what it looks like is just. I don't know. I <laughs> Someone that we take screenshots and put <laughs> and in our group chat yeah, constantly. Yeah. We're messy people. Yeah. We call people out. I mean, yeah. I mean, we call people out within we our are. own circles. We like. Yeah. Yeah. And we we're talk petty. Shit. That's like, what it is. I don't think we like. Yeah, we, <laughs> we don't call people call out. We should, out. honestly. Hella. I think it's just taking pictures of you helping your community with the end goal of not really being there for your community but to show others how much better you Mm -hmm. are because you're doing this so if you're putting together programs or going volunteering and just taking pictures of you doing that and saying things like wow look what i did with my saturday you know rather than like these people need our help every day of the week Mm -hmm. not just saturday like these people need our help all the time we need to be constantly be doing things like this I think that's where it becomes more performative, where you're showing what you did with your time and energy that other folks didn't or may not have had the ability to do so. So I think it it ties into this idea of kind of privilege. You know, you're privileged to have that free time and free energy to just go and do these things. There are people who would love to do that, but are unfortunately too busy or unable to actually go out and do this work. And for you to sit there and say, like, wow, look what I'm doing with my life right now. And look how great it is. And I'm so happy I'm helping my community. It's just, like, are you doing it for your community or just to show how, quote, unquote, good of a person you are, you know? That's where I think the line starts to get blurred. And, you know, I think it mostly ties into with, like, educated friends that we have. I I think a lot of also um, volunteer tourism and uh, basically teaching tourism, too. People that go into other countries and become English teachers or they do the Peace Corps and they think they're going to save the world. And it's like, no, you're really not. They just think about taking pictures of these indigenous women doing their weavings or whatever and then you writing an essay about it later is you honoring these women it's like no you literally just you're just writing an essay about these women and their work you're like not doing shit but you're gonna like pretend that you're doing something substantial 
that it, it's that kind of thing where it's like <laughs> you're why are you, why did you even need to do this and i think i also kind of think of myself because i i'll take pictures of myself like at the mayday march or at the women's march and I, they're not usually of myself I feel kind of uncomfortable taking pictures of myself, but it, it's it's complicated, right? Where it's like, I want to actually document how amazing and uplifting an event is. So then I, I kind of get into this thing where it's like, where, where mm. am I drawing the line to, right? So I have like two pictures on my Instagram of like yeah. Chidla, basically veterans, like they're, they're like fathers mothers like mm. people who have been community organizing yeah. and left for day laborers and domestic workers for decades basically and i have a picture of them and then i have another picture of mm. this girl's sign at the women's march saying like mata machismo so, so then i'm like am i part- participating in that and i think it kind of feeds into this like murky area that we were just talking about earlier like where is it blurring and then yeah. even how am i actually doing that too i think that like a bit of it also has to do if you're including yourself in the picture you know like if you're standing next to the person with the sign with your little I approve. Up, you know like <laughs> oh my god look this is cool you know like if you're taking it as a photo yeah if you're taking it as a photo op versus showcasing their words and their insight i think that's where it, it you can kind of make a clear distinction like if you're taking pictures of indigenous people and you know just the people themselves and just talking about the, their daily lives or like conversations you may have had with them versus you standing next to them with your thumbs up or like putting your arm around them because it'll look cool for the gram you know like here i am hanging with indigenous communities like i think that's where it definitely gets performative where it's just i know it's like do you even know this woman conversations like, who are you values, hugging? It's more of, this is a photo op yeah yeah like <laughs> like who are you hugging like do you really know this woman i'm sorry Third. i'm just like thinking of like people that i know i'm like come on mm. like yeah you're, you're reaching <laughs> you're literally reaching for this woman come on Ugh. yeah and, and it just yeah. like wokeness is like a currency now it's gross right i don't i don't know mm. I, I get kind of uncomfortable talking about this because i i don't know how much we ourselves participate into this of like the woke points that we have the woke that's very points. true and obviously, like, we will stop talking to someone if they don't understand. I wouldn't I wouldn't be hanging out with someone that doesn't understand, like, white privilege or institutionalized racism because they're going to show that at one point and it's going to be, like, gross and uncomfortable. But then it, then it later goes on to, like, your own family. And when that happens within your own family, are you going to be really elitist about it and be really disrespectful to your family? Or yeah. Because they're not woke, or at least they may not understand concepts of wokeness because, I mean, you, you've been granted an education to be able Maybe to kind of means, understand that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I think it just, especially when it comes into family, because, you know, your family is a large driving factor of who you are, how you think, how you interpret things. So when it comes to unlearning that and trying to kind of engage with their concepts maybe not necessarily their values although sometimes it could definitely be their values and how do you you know address it how do you showcase what you've learned that's different i think a lot of it comes down to you know it definitely can be that elitist perspective and a lot of like 
oh, I'm so much better than you. Like, I can't believe you don't know this or like all these things. But I think it also comes down to contextualizing things and understanding that folks may not have had that education, that values were very different when you were growing up than how they are now. And so basically just like trying to discern those differences and trying to engage in a productive manner, because at the end of the day, they're still your family, you know? And I know that for a lot of people, a family is toxic and it's better to just cut them out. But for some other folks, it's just you're not going to do it. You're not going to cut out that family, even though they're like saying fucked up things. But all you got to do is just tell them straight up, hey, if you keep saying these fucked up things, I'm going to keep having the same argument with you over and over and over. And I think that's where family either just drops it or gets frustrated enough to try to yeah. want to learn about it. But I don't know. It, it gets hard to after a while to one have that same conversation and to just be like, "Wow, you still you don't get it? Like, fuck!" fuck. But why I are you still sleeping? To, <laughs> not, maybe not even that. It's just like, what do you mean you don't understand racism and anti-black? Like you just said something anti-black. <laughs> what? And <laughs> yeah, uh, like you just congratulated that kid on being more chalipo. Like what? <laughs> what do you mean you don't get it? But I think it, it's definitely a process of like checking people, but like in a proper manner when it comes to family. Not even because like propriety is this big thing, which it can be, but because you want to leave that discussion with both of you feeling a bit more enlightened about the other so maybe you'll know more about what they mm-hmm. learned when they were growing up and maybe you'll have better tools to actually engage another person who may have grown up in a similar situation so i think it's like maybe you as the quote-unquote woke person will be able to grasp more tools and maybe the other person will walk away from that conversation understanding why the things that they said ties into larger issues and how their microaggressions are on a macro mm-hmm. level as well so i'm gonna tie it back to something that we said earlier and i want to ask you a question uh do you know who snow the product mm. is <laughs> no okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> i think of like know the product <laughs> know what you're selling like retail mindset <laughs> Smart consumers. That's what I thought of. <laughs> oh my god no snow yeah. the product is this um mexican-american female rapper that's from the bay area she's from san jose and she started this company she registered the the word the trademark of stay woke so she has like stay woke apparel and she has stay woke gear and shit like that right so when i was looking up things for this episode that's like one of the first things i found out when i typed in commodified wokeness (laughs) And I, and I was like, this is actual, this is the, the most literal definition of commodified wokeness. This is a, a light-skinned Latina woman who is rapping, and she's been called out multiple times on Twitter. I don't really know a lot of her. I'm going to be real with you. Like, I've maybe heard, like, one song of hers, like, pop up in my Discover, but I don't know much of her. Growing up in the Bay Area, you know, it's, it's common to have all those cultures mixed. So I'm sure she really does feel, like, an affinity for it. But she's been mm-hmm. called out multiple times for kind of appropriating and just kind of the things that she said. And obviously, like, this is kind of another big thing where she's just, like, a she's commodified a very important outcome of the Black Lives Matter movement and African-American vernacular, right? Stay woke apparel. She's literally selling that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely... I don't know. I feel like so many people that I meet from the Bay, I mean, most of my experiences with people from the Bay, aside from like times I've gone with y'all, 
have been from like people you know la transplants who came from the bay oh my god yeah so some of them feel yeah yeah so some of them feel like they can drop the n-word even though they're not black and just you know certain characteristics or things that they do that I think it's just because there's a heavy like black community in Oakland and well, the Bay Area. There, it's, 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 just... le- it's still very segregated, but it's still it's not as much segregated as LA. Definitely, like people, black mm. and brown folks are living within e- their lives more. Black folks and Asian folks and white folks and all that. They are because def- it's so much denser mm-hmm. here and so much there's just way less space. Yeah, that people are kind of forced to like live amongst each other. So I feel like culture is definitely flowing in all types of directions like i i went to my partner's yeah. middle school that they're uh taing at and like all these kids are all, like all hanging out with each other like black asian latinx brown black everyone right so and it's it's yeah. beautiful but it's also kind of like uh, there are some there are like kids that should not be saying specific words all the time and it's like uncomfortable yeah i think that's <laughs> where it gets yeah i think that's where it gets like interesting because like i understand that you know the culture is going to flow in whatever way and you know you're going to want to share your culture with people around you i think that's just part of what happens especially when you're meeting people from different backgrounds but when it comes to specific word usage especially when it comes to african-american vernacular english it's just you know how where do we draw the line and i I don't think it's on us of course to just say like yeah like i think it's just I don't know like so many people just say oh well I'm from the bay you know that's where I grew up that's, that's how just it like is what people here, say you know? you know like we're just friends yeah <laughs> yeah like, what? what does that even and mean so, <laughs> yeah I'm like I, I don't does that mean you can make the, the fucking trademark the copyright and make money off of it <laughs> and no yeah what the fuck like what does that even mean yeah I don't know yeah like I don't know. I think it's just maybe a lack of a history lesson, at least pertaining to the N-word. That's all I think. I'm just like, if y'all knew the history of, like, dehumanization associated with it, maybe you'd understand why only black people are allowed to reclaim it. Yeah. Just just maybe. Definitely. So. Yeah, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there even a real difference, though? Like, we've, we've said how blurry it all is, right? between like reclaiming an identity yeah. and then commodifying our own identity commodifying our own experiences is like pocs is there even there, it's just so difficult like there is such a small fine line of like what is reclaiming your latinidad or whatever and then mm. selling nopales like all over the place i don't know <laughs> like it's weird yeah. too where it's like now cultural products like frida are just like everywhere and mm. it's like free that was like super super communist yeah why would she want to be printed on an american apparel shirt like she wouldn't <laughs> she'd be out there yeah. protesting like sweatshop conditions in american apparel so yeah i don't know i think she it's would just... not want to be on my tequila bottle which was given to me for my birthday <laughs> yeah like she wouldn't want to be in coco she wouldn't want to be in a production by an anti-semite you know walt disney yeah so just i don't know there's so many complexities to it that I mean at least pertaining to reclaiming Chicanidad and Latinidad I think I think that's good I think it's needed especially in like white aspiring America I think it's definitely needed and I think with social media it's just going to get easier for folks to harp onto these 
cultural markers so like selena frida nopales conchas so i think it it happens but i think it gets interesting when you start you know like say we started a pod and our first thing was just we're gonna talk about selena and um fuck what's that candy the peanut butter one like we're gonna talk yeah we're gonna talk about that the first episode because we know our target audience we know who's gonna listen to this like i think that's where it's like purposeful and i think we got to look at intent a lot of the time yeah so i think it's just where does your intent lie when you're talking about these things is it because you know who's gonna listen to listen listen to you or like buy your products Mm -hmm. or is it because you're just trying to make publicity so like i think of yana and her like shirts like the the brown sugar and canela shirts so like central american shirt the melanated mommy shirt like there is no clear cultural marker to those shirts it's just putting publicity out there for folks who are you know darker complexions and who are central american and so i think it's just a very valuable way of reclaiming that identity Mm -hmm. without necessarily commodifying it because like you can be anywhere in central america and wear the central american shirt it's not a marker mm-hmm. it's just facts facts be facts like. <laughs> facts. <laughs> when are we gonna start selling Sorry. like pupusa apparel and like curtido <laughs> earrings and shit like, I don't... Yo, have you seen the pupusa earring i have seen the pupusa earring <laughs> <laughs> i was like kind of down like okay but yeah i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> where i actually followed them on ig Hi-key. they're like a vendor <laughs> in um san salvador but <laughs> okay yeah i'm like oh hi to you to you good good they like make a bunch of little like earrings of like all types of food and i'm like that's Aww, so cute that's really cool <laughs> yeah but i Can mean get me some yuca frita and chicharron yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> i used to have these like chanclita earrings that my cousins gave me from mexico oh and they were super cute but then one that's of them like cute. fell out and then and then i just like lost it and i every time i go to mexico i try to find the same chanclita earrings or a similar type but i never find them but i would like to have some like blue salvi chanclas earrings like that'd be a dope earring to have we should sell that'd some of those really cute <laughs> <laughs> you know we're gonna I'm, I'm just gonna sell like only salvi apparel now right like that how would that would that be us commodifying our own identity i don't know i don't even I think know it has to be on like i think there's like a process to it so there's got to be a you know agreed to cultural marker so like for salvi folks what would that be would that be the pupusa would that be you know the, <laughs> the torogos would that be like what what you know is the cultural marker you know what do we identify with and what can we easily mm-hmm. recognize as like that salvadorian and mm-hmm. so then once we've got that then we create a product around it whether it's a shirt an earring a jewelry a s- accessory of some sort or you know pictures of it or postcards of it whatever it is that's when we can that's that's when we can jump in you know? i know dude i'm <laughs> waiting i'm waiting money, like. <laughs> no. we gotta make our money back no, on this podcast we're not. <laughs> no we don't we're gonna stay in debt but it's just like <laughs> i mean i'm down no but i think it's just like that's where we create the commodification of the identity yeah and where it's more of like people will interpret it as chiefly salvadorian and we'll buy it because it's that. And chiefly Rather than buy it because... Yeah, so, like, will they buy our logo, which is made by Ellie? Like, Aww. will they... Will they? 
associate that as like the Puchicamos marker and then are we culture like <laughs> like what, I want to be culture <laughs> for the culture yeah Ugh, it's gross and I don't like the word yeah, anymore it's like a sticky thing and it's like I listen to Childish Gambino song and I'm like I don't know it doesn't feel the same anymore nah it's still a really good song it's still fire but <laughs> it's <laughs> I just hope that we can eventually get to a state that's I don't know like we're always going to be flexing on some type of way right like we're always going to try to be a part of the group right we're always going to try to be something that's just kind of how culture has been like if you're not in you're not in right mm-hmm. when I'm wondering what the next thing will be right like what is the next cool thing once being woke is not cool anymore and I feel like it kind of isn't at a lot a lot of times like being woke is like irritating right like feminazis or what other SJWs like that's like another way to kind of be anti-woke so yeah, like woke shaming woke shaming too yeah definitely and it, it it's gotten I think so oversaturated that it's not even enjoyable for people in, in social justice circles and it's kind of been made a mockery of for sure that i i don't know i feel like at least i think of our immediate friend group and how we're not flexing for the gram like all i flex on the gram are like my fucking plant pigs <laughs> your fucking <laughs> like, leg on sink pigs yeah which are fucking fire dude. <laughs> definitely nah, but, um i think we we can I don't know. I don't want to like excuse our friend group, but we all do work for communities and we're not just like harping on on the fact that we're doing work for these communities. You know, we go to it. We do we do our fucking job. We do it well. And then we go home. Like, (laughs) But because we (laughs) yeah, like because we have like the mentality of this is what we want to do. And these are the communities we want to serve. And there's a general like a genuine volition there where it's like, yeah, it's not. This is, what I want. This is a part I of our well everyday lives. Do it. Yeah. Like the, I don't need to take a picture of and me helping the community because I already help the community every day. Nah, that's fucking whack. Nah, <laughs> not not even like that. It's just like I just do it, and I don't need people around me to know that I do it. Maybe I'll let. I don't y'all need people to congratulate me. Moved into. Yeah, like I mm-hmm. feel good enough, right? Because I'm doing it. Like the job itself gives me the fulfillment that. I feel I need because I think that's just a human need you know you want to feel fulfilled in whatever way whether that's academically emotionally professionally financially and I think we get our professional fulfillment from what we do without letting people know that this is what we're doing you don't it, it doesn't feel like these people are really caring about the community and it makes me uncomfortable because I, I sometimes I feel like communities are just used as props like I think of YouTubers mm-hmm. that go and they buy a box of Subway sandwiches and they like give it to homeless people. It's like we're giving back to homeless people today. I'm like what? <laughs> yeah. And then they just like cause a ruckus and it's like okay, you gave a dude a five dollar sandwich and you just made like a million dollars off your video and you just yeah. It 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 can get so sinister and but then there's some genuine people who are like dedicating their lives to causes that are very important to them and they get nothing in return it's kind of frustrating to me that there are people who are putting in so much work and not not i don't want to say they're not being credited they probably they probably do feel really fulfilled and 
by the, the everyday people that they're interacting with and by the actual impact that they're seeing in other people's lives and their own. The, then it's like for these likes, for these views, for this sponsorship, for this deal. And I don't know, and then I, I get uncomfortable. It's just frustrating just because, you know, you see these people and like maybe they do have the best intentions, but did you really have to take your camera out? Did you really have to edit this footage? Did you really have to pick your fucking thumbnail and make your fucking post, upload the fucking video, (laughs) have all these people fucking do it, fucking have ads on it too? Like, did you really have to go through all that just to let people know like, hey, look, I'm a nice person. Like, you could have done that in other ways. Maybe you could have just done it to the people you were helping the communities you were helping they would have been like hey this is a good person was that not enough for you i don't know it makes me mad just because it's like i think it takes into account less the people the communities that are being helped like their opinions matter less than your peers at that point like these people think you're fucking doing a good job or doing what you're supposed to be doing and for you to think that i need my peers to know about this just i don't know it's dismissive of their their opinions their values and just everything they could possibly maybe even feel for you so like i don't think we're gonna come to like a clean cut answer of like what the difference between reclaiming and commodifying is or difference between like performative chiefly is versus like what just activism is but i think we can say that when the public eye is on it then it becomes more performative or more dubious no, yeah, definitely. Adding the public aspect to it is, like, I think what really changes the game, right? Yeah. I, that's, like, where... It... Yeah, because, like, you can't perform if there's no one there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, if you have an audience, then you're able to perform, then it's performative activism. Do you want to go into the next segment? Yeah, so we're going to try doing a new segment. This also relies on, you know, the activity of Central American Twitter for the segment to actually exist. Hey, okay, shout <laughs> so out to Central American Twitter. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, this segment is this week on Central American Twitter. It's just going to be, yeah, like, you know, your new segment, like, we're the anchors. But it's, you know, of course, it relies on what's going on in Central American Twitter. So y'all better be fucking active every fucking day. I know, right? Nah, nah, nah. Nah, nah. I feel like, yeah. But this week has been a move like había mucho oh, movimiento. Sure, there's a lot going sure. on this week in central american twitter in different aspects of course just because central american identity is very complicated so do you just want to go back and forth when we talk about different points uh yeah i mean yeah you can bring up bring it up and then i'll i'll jump in hey cool 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 so we're gonna go chronologically in terms of like what happened so early last week so early january um, we had the hashtag boycott Gustavo Arellano movement being popularized by queer Chicano Chisme and Daniel Alvarenga, I believe. Or Alvarenga. Alvarenga. Daniel. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Daniel. He's going to revoke that follow he gave but, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they, they popularized this movement to boycott Gustavo Arellano because he was a problematic. He's a problematic, not a he was a problematic. He is a he problematic. He is. He's been. Uh, been. <laughs> but he was appointed as editor for Remescla. So for folks who aren't familiar with Remescla, they're just, I don't really know what they do, actually. I think they're just like social media personas. No, BuzzFeed. Slash, yeah. yeah, like a, yeah, like We Are Me Too, kind of. 
Yeah, so they appointed him as editor, and Ariana has a really complicated history of anti-blackness, transphobia, Central American, like, hatred, or, like, I don't even know how to call misogyny. it. Misogyny. Yeah, misogyny is a big one, too. But he just has this history of, like, being, being a fucked up person. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, Remezcla is giving him a platform to speak. Like, what? like a, a bigger not just like a freelance writer like here and there like no you're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna be like an editor at large like what like that yeah. you're gonna be in charge of picking the stories that you want you're like yeah not cool <laughs> yeah so uh queer chicano chisme and daniel really popularized the movement and a lot of central american twitter was tweeting about how this is injustice and how like it was just gonna further feed a mexican hegemony and just I don't know, just really contribute to this, like, misconstruction or, mis- like, representation of what Latinidad and, like, is. So we already talked about how Latinidad is centered around Mexico and how this would just further feed that narrative. And mm-hmm. so after constant tweeting and constant unfollows to the Remezcla Twitter account, they fired him. Like, they did fire yeah. him yeah he tried to be like oh yeah i'm leaving for this other pocho.com there's more money there anyways and, and i'm like who like, is pocho.com cool about- yeah <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I'm, like <"Who?"> <laughs> I'm sure they got like hella like views on their profile from his tweet just because like who <laughs> who is this? i know but yeah so this is like social media activism personified you know like within 24 hours that i mess fired him and they released a, a really like i don't know blase correct yeah statement saying like we want to represent latinidad or accurately like i'm not gonna bother reading the full thing just because it's like whatever whatever this is dumb like they didn't even acknowledge yeah. like why people were upset yeah no yeah they were basically saying like Due to, like, public outcry, essentially, we've realized that we messed up on the previous decision we've made. So we've had to let go of someone. They didn't even name drop who they were letting go. They really didn't. They did not even name drop Gustavo Arellano. And I'm like, okay. So people who don't actually know what's going on are not going to know why Gustavo was problematic. And, like, why his way of thinking is problematic. Yeah, so it was very on the surface, very much like, all right, whatever. We heard y'all. We got the unfollows. Okay. And so he was fired. So that's one topic that was going on in Central American Twitter. We got a lot of shit canos in our mentions this weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I fought with a lot of people on the internet. Another thing that was going on was the decision made on January 8th for temporary protected status regarding El Salvador. So I talked about this a bit earlier on in the episode and how like draining it was for me relating to my family and my job about this but just i don't know i had to take a break after a while on twitter just because it was a lot of people just lamenting the loss and really feeling that raw pain about it and just trying to form community around it and like full empathy sympathy all of it was there just because so many folks related to it and what i thought was really beautiful is that it moved away from the like Saudi centric aspect, at least in certain spaces. It was just. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna be I'm gonna disagree on that. I'm okay. Be real. Well, I mean, I was just saying just... on the the accounts that I follow, I saw them being more like 
this affects more than just Salvadorians or Central Americans. This affects people mm-hmm, from like mm-hmm. Africa and the Caribbean. But I definitely felt that at the beginning, and a lot of the push to talking about TPS was definitely because Salvies are the largest recipients of TPS. Yeah, that's like why I'm kind of like. I mean, I, I obviously this is something that is like very concerning, and I really do feel for like you and your family and every single person affected. But it, it was kind of I, I was kind of just like a on a high alert because like Hades was announced to end. Nicaragua's mm-hmm. and like Honduras was announced Honduras, and like yes. two months ago like what like we didn't really freak out then and we should have but obviously because Salvadorans are the biggest group it's like 200,000 people we only started caring because in my opinion Salvadorans were the ones that were being affected yeah, oh sorry. yeah definitely I feel like we still had decisions being made for Syria and Nepal and Honduras, you know, the decision still wasn't final. So that decision still has to be made. We have Yemen coming up and Somalia. Those are all in 2018. And then we have South Sudan's decision being made in 2019. So there's still definitely a lot of countries that have been designated TPS who could have that status removed. And I feel like this is why we need to push even harder for it. This is still like, how many countries did I list out right now? That's three six so that's six of the like like the ten yeah yeah six of ten countries that have been designated who are still waiting their decision so that's like more than half of the countries so this is why we should be pushing a fight around it even if it might not necessarily affect our own communities anymore we still get a fight for it just because it helps these communities out gives them the opportunity for a work permit and to work legally and to pay taxes and just i was really uh, thinking a lot about so I, I I was reading statistics of like how a third of TPS holders like have like home mortgages, and it mm-hmm. kind of made me think about uh, at least in an LA context. Well, okay, so Sa- Salvadorans in particular are in the the biggest hubs are in DC, LA, Houston, and New York, and it yeah. just really made me think, especially in an LA context because that's just what we're familiar with. That around like thirty thousand people in LA have TPS. And it just made me mm-hmm. think about uh, gentrification and MacArthur Park and Pico Union mm-hmm. and Rampart Village and just like how much they're already s- dealing with gentrification right now. And it's like if TPS is like removing 30,000 individuals and like we don't even know about like families and yeah outside of that. Right. And then it just kind of makes me think of like how this is just kind of all coming into play for gentrification. And, and obviously like. I'm sure Houston and for sure DC is facing a lot of gentrification. So it just kind mm-hmm. of makes me think of like how much this is like really adding onto it and how these things aren't really that coincidental. How like removing yeah. people in these communities and in major cities and met- major metropolitan hubs isn't a shock and how it, it it's going to totally play out in favor for other people in the future. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way, but I definitely see what you're saying just because, you know, city planning is such a big thing. And like the fact that these are areas that, you know, the affluent have been pushing into just the fact that, you know, we're going to displace a bunch of people who may not have had the resources to afford the new places, but who have been there for decades the fact that we're displacing them for these other well maybe not even for these other people but the fact that they're being displaced and that the possibility for these other people to move in is that much higher is just going to contribute to gentrification in a different 
level you know something we haven't really seen before and it's just i don't know it makes me disgusted i was in westlake today i went to the immigration court to file and i took the bus and i was like in westlake and i'm like fuck this place is gonna change like maybe not drastically but like it's gonna be different it just makes me think about like all of the like how how big of an impact moving over two hundred thousand people will be right not only just on the people themselves but like physically like how will that actually even impact on every single person like around them right like this is not just you're not only hurting these like individual family members like you're hurting real communities and real people and just like you're hurting so many more things and it's just so it's such a careless decision and it just i think it's so it's so illogical that it's just like you can only chalk it up to like racism yeah i was talking to my mom about it and we were mostly talking about the the family aspect of it just because you know we're fortunate in the sense that you know i'm the youngest in my family and i'm i'm 22 so it's not the most terrible thing like i don't even want to get there like if my mom gets supported it's not the most terrible thing because we're grown up but we we run that privilege you know there are folks who have children who are maybe you know anywhere from like four to 13 or all the way up to before they're 18 you know these aren't legal adults and so they gotta they gotta go with their family they gotta go Mm -hmm. to a country that they might not even have been to before because their parents were too scared to go because they weren't sure they could get back in so you know these are children who are really gonna go and grow up in a different place and who might not even survive when they get there yeah yeah and so that's what we were talking about mostly just like the fact that the youth are really going to be affected by this and like if you don't go with your family you're left to like state care so like you're left in the hands of the state and you know you got to figure it out from there yeah so like how do you how does i don't know it's just like you said comes down to neglect and racism bottom line it's just i don't know makes me sad but we did a, a really good thread well i mean we're biased so like i'm gonna say it's good it might not be that good <laughs> i mean you but, made it so yeah you're definitely biased <laughs> but it's but, a beautiful uh, thread no it's like a beautifully well-informed very i mean it was like retweeted by very many credible people uh, who yeah. are dope you know and yeah. I, I, so, I will say that it is an amazing thread and that's why i love it and i love you oh thank you I just want to go ahead and read out some key points from it for folks who may not have seen it and just want to listen. So as we said in our TPS episode, folks who said there are some TPS holders who may be eligible for adjustment of status. These are folks who live under the Ninth Circuit or the Sixth Circuit. States under the Ninth Circuit are California, Nevada, Arizona, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Alaska, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Guam. And for the Sixth Circuit, it's Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. So you can only uh, are eligible for adjustment of status if you are uh, um, if you have a spouse who is a U.S. citizen or a child who is over the age of 21 who is a U.S. citizen. And we'd highly recommend you all to check in with an immigration attorney to confirm your eligibility just because we're not eligible to give any kind of legal advice. You know, we're not we didn't go to law school. We didn't earn those degrees. So. And also that that process is costly and time consuming. So we highly want to encourage folks to go into it and look into those things early on. 
look into Garrison. There's garrison-la.org, garrisonsf.org, garrisondc.org. Yeah, immigrationadvocates.org for legal services. There's both nonprofit and for-profit work. You can look into the National Immigration Law Center at nilc.org for information on immigration law or policy. You can also look at the Immigrant Legal Resource Center, ilrc.org, to find out more information. And this is just a call to action. If you are a U.S. citizen, then, you know, you have that privilege and you can use that privilege to urge your representative or congressperson to find a permanent form of relief because the Department of Homeland Security has said that only Congress can make that decision. So this is this is it. This is where we got to get to moving and we got to get to calling. We got to do our work to hope that we can actually, you know, get change and have these people not be displaced. Yes. So that was the heavy TPS news that is still circulating around Twitter, Central American Twitter. Yeah. So that's like the one thing that was happening earlier today as well. I was just going to actually talk about a judge blocking Trump's wind down of the DACA program. So federal judge in San Francisco, actually. So he's a U.S. District Court judge, William Alsup ordered that the Trump administration resume accepting renewal applications for DACA. So basically the idea is that since no solution has been made to replace DACA, that the USCIS, the Citizenship and Immigration Services, have to continue accepting applications at this moment. And so of course this decision can still be replaced by a higher court and it could go all the way back up to the Supreme Court. But this essentially is the law as of this moment, 9.31 p.m. on January 9th. 2018. So, of course, it's not going to stay this way. Immigration law is changing all the time. But California Attorney General Javier Becerra is saying that this is a step in the right direction. But there's still a lot of uncertainty for a lot of DACA folks and dreamers in general. So it's just, I don't know, it's a step in the right direction, but more needs to happen. A decision on a federal level needs to be made regarding this sooner rather than later. Just because very similar to TPS is just leaving folks in limbo and leaving them expecting deportation more than anything else. So this is still a developing story. Highly recommend y'all look into it if this is something that pertains to either you, your friends, peers, family, and just to read up on it as much as possible. Keep things on the lookout. Things are changing every fucking day. Yeah. That's good. That's good that we're... Yeah, that that was a lot. I'm telling you, Central American Twitter was just like yeah. This was just like a lot. Which is why it's exhausting. Like I love it, but it's exhausting. (laughs) Just because I'm like, it is no, it's beautiful, and I'm happy that there's so many people we can engage with. But it's also it's a lot Mm -hmm. of work. It's like so many people putting in so much work and like not getting paid, not getting uh, compensated, not like. When TPS happened, there were people like we, Sam and I were really talking about like we would like to do something with people who are losing TPS, but then it's like we also feel uncomfortable with that idea because we want to be able to compensate people, but like who's going to compensate us? Like we can't compensate people either. And it gets murky. And like we would love to have like people and do more as well with like our own show and like be better and improve. But then it's like people aren't, you know, we don't have the resources to be able to do that. And that just kind of, it keeps feeling like it kind of keeps that cycle going of like we're running on fumes, right? We keep running on fumes. And we like, we want to do more work for the community, but that requires more work of us than someone who is like getting backed by like fucking NPR or whatever the fuck, right? 
so it, it's hard for all of these people that are creating content for free just because they care about their community so much and then just like the people themselves who are facing all of these obstacles and them not being not feeling like they're seeing themselves represented or anyone caring about them and then the people that are caring about them <laughs> don't feel cared yeah. about either so it, it's hard yeah can you can you give me a bendition yes please? i definitely can all right i am gonna do another one off the dome because i ain't right shit for this <laughs> off the dome off the dome yes uh this is actually very related to the last despedida i did which was the we Frey Frey episode but just because we were talking about Aww, our boo, ye- your boo, uh, <laughs> nah, our, my, <laughs> not your boo, nah, our our first episode, our first guest. Sorry, not our first episode. And yeah, so it's also very related because we were talking about activism. And so I really want to encourage y'all to get involved, find folks who are close to you in terms of identity base, and to just go ahead and connect with them. If you're a Latinx person, go ahead and connect with other Latinx organizations, people who are organizing, especially if it's like on a grassroots local level. That's where you can definitely see the effect of mobilizing people, I feel. I mean, granted, there are bigger movements going on that you could definitely be a part of. But I think that in order to, I don't know, see the full fruition of it all, it's best to go for those small local initiatives. And if you're a queer person, go ahead and get involved in queer groups. If you are, a, I don't know, like a book nerd, join a book club. Like <laughs> if you do art, go to art shows. If you do podcasts, go to podcast events also. Those are out there. And so just the main message behind us is just to get involved in any way you can with your interest. So I think there's too much telling us not to go ahead and push for these things but i think it's very healthy for us to actually go ahead and venture deeper into our interest and to find folks who are also interested in similar things and to just go ahead and be healthy with it go go deep into it go full nerd like i love anime and that's why i'm talking to sandra about anime a lot of the time i got another friend of mine into anime and like we're nerding out about naruto all the time just because this is this is the healthy way to go about it you know maybe it can become obsessive at times but like if you have someone to talk to about it and to actually like explore these interests with i think it can be better and i think it's it's it says a lot you know if you're going to these art shows and you're supporting local artists you're telling that artist hey i see what you're doing and i appreciate you for doing this I want to see more of it and that's why i'm here right now because i want to actually one meet the artists who see the work in person and three hope that there will be more of this in the future and i think it's just encouraging for one the creator and two for you the the person who's actually going out and feeling some kind of fulfillment and especially if it's activism oriented you're gonna feel that sense of fulfillment no matter what you're doing as long as you're going out and doing it you know there's only so much fulfillment we can get when we read these articles about things going on and like like if we read about you know people i don't know helping folks around their community and like i think of daca and tps or like if they were helping them fill out work permits 
you know how much fulfillment can you get from that versus going out and I don't know maybe even volunteering your time and just saying like hey I want to help y'all let me know in whatever way I can even if it's just like setting up tables or like doing little things like that but I actually get to see the work being done in person like that's where it gets rewarding for me and so I think for a lot of folks it's just go ahead go deep into it find something you love find someone who loves that same thing and just go full fucking nerd like go in and just love it for what it is feel fulfilled for it and encourage people around you to do the same you know this is the moments where we got to be standing up for people who have similar identities to us who have similar interests and just being there for them and being i don't know as supportive as possible this is what encourages better art to come out and yeah that's my little bendicion despedida for today i just want y'all to go ahead support your friends be there for them that like makes me really think about like why we started this a lot because i feel like we were both kind of a little somber this episode i feel like i don't know if you if our audience can tell that we're feeling very drained and this show this show is definitely a labor of love and i definitely do it because it makes me feel a lot better doing this with you sam and surrounding myself with like your energy and just like the energy of so many people who feel very strongly about how much they like love their community and their issues is is very important to me yeah but it it it, i feel like it it gets threatened by so many shitty people out there yeah it does but i think it's because we're like dealing with like marginalized communities so much you know Mm -hmm. and this like show is definitely like a form of therapy for me to really mill out my thoughts and i just like want to tell you how much i really appreciate it and how much i appreciate you really giving me this opportunity to do this with you yeah i really appreciate the one the invitation because this is your idea and to the opportunity to just dive deep you know we've done episodes on central american women and musicians and tps and even dating just like us diving deep into ourselves and just learning more about what we are and who we are and values and opinions we hold and i think that that's a wonderful thing and i'm really thankful for being on this journey with you and just learning more about me while i'm doing it also and learning more so much more about you like who we both eat ass like what no <laughs> what, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> wilfred eats ass too what i didn't say that <laughs> what? what central american rectums i want it to central be a thing rectums. queer central it's american it's gotta fucking happen you know it wouldn't be a puchica boss episode if we didn't end without talking about ass play in some way <laughs> y'all know you listen to Puchika. that should be our our shirt <laughs> so, oh my god rectum yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoa it's a cultural marker like <laughs> oh my the new central american cultural marker uh-huh. oh my god. 
but but here's the thing like you don't actually know how down i am for this yo <laughs> our new local is just gonna be like a rectum I'm about to hit up our our friends who are artists <laughs> can you draw me a rectum <laughs> ellie can you draw me a rectum please can you draw my rectum oh my god Whoa. here's a photo <laughs> <laughs> You can also find it on the no, hashtag no. Central American Rectums. Uh, <laughs> no. Yo, I started that hashtag. It's on my account. Oh yeah, I'm going to go retweet it from the Pucci Cabos. Twitter. Uh, you can't retweet it because I'm on private. Uh, wait, we're... Uh, make it unprivate for like two, Pucci, two oh, minutes. Yeah. Two minutes, please. Okay, I will. <laughs> hey, I'm on your page. Also, already. people who to the people who have to people who, wait shit yeah. to the people who have followed me, even though I'm on private. Shout out to you for actually caring about me because I'm trying to cultivate an an aura of mystery, <laughs> but y'all are ruining it for me. Not <laughs> but y'all aren't letting it be. A thing. <laughs> nah, I just I don't know, dude. I'm scared of like the internet, so like I'm. I'm just, like, nervous about, like, my privacy getting, like, my, not, like, privacy as in real privacy, like, intimate stuff, but privacy as in, like, my social security number <laughs> or something like that getting hacked. That's, yeah. All right. Yeah, because I was, like, The National TPS of... Alliance just followed us. Yeah. <laughs> and we just retweeted something about rectums and clay pots. <laughs> you retweeted Should I delete it? With... No, wait, mine or the clay no, pod? No, 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 the pod from the pod post. Should the pod be more serious? Nah. Oh, okay. I like the No, we should. I'm going to delete Okay, it. yes, please. <laughs> All right, so that was our episode on performative activism. Hope y'all loved it. Hope y'all have a great rest of your week, day, night, whatever time it is. And please stay safe. Times are rough out here, y'all. Yeah, goodbye. Hope everyone has a good week, a good night, a good day. Yeah.